0: If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. It is an honor to welcome to the show Dr. Sunil Dam. This individual is, I wouldn't say, is your typical doctor in the sense that he doesn't go along with uh, some of the narratives that are out there, which says that there's a pharmaceutical solution to every problem. Matter of fact, this individual seems to be bucking a lot of um, mainstream trends, but I discovered him on Twitter. I found a lot of his posts to be very empowering in the sense that he really believes in personal responsibility. And you can learn more about Dr. Dan by going to his website at drdhandacademy.com. Dr. Dan, welcome to our show.
1: Thank you. It's an honor. Thank you for reaching out to me.
0: Oh, my pleasure. So from your perspective, what are three of the biggest common myths that they are pushing uh, a uh, narratives out there about health that uh, you tend to
1: disagree with? Okay, well, so many. That's a great question to start Thank off you. with. Well, let me pick three narratives. The first narrative is a very sinister one, which has taken hold for the for the last, I'd say, 20 years or so, we've gone rapidly downhill. Movement started in the United States, has spread to other parts of the world, and that is a complete disempowerment of the individual patient. Your health is not in your hands, according to the modern mainstream narrative. Your health is your genetics. You, there is no personal responsibility to take charge of your health. If you get sick, so be it. We've got an expensive pharmaceutical cure for you. That is... The number one myth, I would say, out there that your health is not in your hands. They've done studies that have shown that at any one point in time, your health is only about 20 percent of your genetics. 80 percent are your personal decisions. So why on earth the medical establishment is not pushing this more? I don't. Well, actually, I tell a lie. I do know why, because the more they disempower people, the more profits they have. That's the number one um, myth out there. The second myth is that everyday medical interactions and everyday experiences in health are really about the health and well-being of the patient. Now I'm a doctor most of my friends to be honest are physicians there's some good doctors out there and I don't want to label all doctors the same way. And the fact is that we are in a system most doctors are completely stuck in a system where they are slaves to corporate interests. They are no longer employees of their own business. Like, well, they are employees now of big corporations. Previously go back 20 years, and they were basically owning their own business. Um, You had much more of an emphasis on smaller group practices. Uh, Physicians might be working together in two or three, groups of two or three, and that was it. Now most doctors are employees of big corporations. So corporate interests rule supreme. And the everyday advice that patients get is hugely tainted by these corporate interests. And it's absolutely out of control in the United States. We can certainly get to later big pharmaceutical companies and the influence they have. That's the second myth. The third myth I would say out there is that the people at the top of healthcare have your best interests at heart. This links to myth number two, but our leaders are an absolute disgrace. I will not mince words. We need a revolution in healthcare. We need to toss our current leaders out, ideally even abolish all of the three letter agencies because we have the wrong people in charge. And it pains me as a doctor that wants to do the right thing, that wants to give patient good advice, that the people at the top making rules and running the system are basically in a revolving door with those same corporate interests. So how you can change the system from within right now, I don't know. And I feel very sorry. We're obviously, I'm assuming, going to stick with the United States here. We're both in the US. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how your average American can really beat the system without first understanding that it's rigged to have them fail, rigged to have them become sick and recurrent customers of the medical industrial complex. And I really mean that. Again, I'm not saying every single doctor or nurse is bad, but we have a really bad system that sets you up for failure from the beginning.
0: Well, I really appreciate your answer and I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, my primary care doctor, I have some positives and negatives. I would say the negatives, well, positives that if something is really bothering me, I know it can get in right away. The negatives is that I just have to be aware that every time I go there, they're gonna spin the wheel of big pharma to try to put me on any kind of medicine of course. Quite frankly, it's profitable. That's why they call it the healthcare business. And, and when I talk to certain people about this, I go, you know, try to do, I always I look for a natural solution. I don't even like taking ibuprofen. Is there any common over-the-counter medicines that people are, that they, they say that are so safe that would actually could have some devastating negative effects that they don't really discuss?
1: Absolutely. I mean, all of them could potentially have devastating effects. I mean, unlikely to happen at very low doses. But the problem is, People take these medications in vastly higher doses than they should. And I'm not an over-the-counter medication person. I'm not an any medication person. I I don't want to be on any pharmaceuticals myself. I'm very glad that it's 2023 and not 1723. If something goes badly wrong, yes, we can fix things. But these everyday issues, people complaining of just a headache or an ache or pain and popping a pill, I do not approve of this culture by any means. If, If it's something really bad and temporary, Fair enough. But why? Why do you need to take a pill for every single ache or pain?
0: I don't know. Maybe because it's profitable. It's really profitable. I mean, I'll never forget when when at the peak of COVID, when everything is out there, I'm curious, what is your perspective on that? Because uh, some individuals say that it's real. Some people said that it wasn't real, that it, it was just hypothetical. Um, I know that for a fact that I got violently ill in a way that I'd never gotten before. I felt like it was poison. I got, I got bitten by a tick about two months prior to my experience with COVID and it, sure. it felt like I was poisoned. And that's the only way I can compare the experience. Um Some people have said that I've listened to have said that it didn't, COVID didn't pass coast pop, uh it, it wasn't able to be isolated in some ways. Mm-hmm. So what is your overall perspective on that, on COVID? And um how do you think that, uh, you know do you think it's it was as the weather it was originally presented to be
1: well i can sum it up in in one statement it's a great question i can understand why some people think it's not real because they don't trust the mainstream media and they think that everything they see on the news is, is bs i'm a, a doctor who's just about as skeptical and questioning as you can get okay i will sum it up like this covid is real but our response to it was unreal you got that okay. covid is real yeah. but our response to it is unreal so i have worked i've i work in in multiple different hospitals at the front lines i have been treating covid for over 3 years now i've treated thousands of patients with covid and it is definitely a virus which has a very distinct pathology patients present in a certain way and it's a little bit different from other viruses we've seen we can get into a debate about Percentages affected, we knew from the very beginning that certain groups were at risk. The elderly, those with chronic comorbidities, obesity, diabetes, et cetera, they were at risk. And we saw at the beginning the initial strain, the, the alpha strain, was much more serious in certain individuals. Now, I mean, I got COVID 19 in February of 2020. And to be honest, I was still working out at home every single day. I've had worse flus before. But I did have this weird dry cough, which I've never had. I mean, most people get respiratory illnesses in, um, in the winter. And um, I remember with COVID, when I had it, I thought, this is strange because I've never had a cough, which doesn't produce phlegm. And that's when we knew that COVID had arrived on our shores in the northeast mm. of the USA. And I put two and two together and thought, yes, I, I had COVID. That was unlike any illness I've had before. It wasn't terrible, but it was a bit different. So I got an antibody test a few weeks later, and sure enough, my antibodies were was sky high. Um, but COVID is it's slightly different from the flu in terms of how it presents. I think that from the very beginning, we should have had a much more reasoned, calm response to it. We didn't need to pretend like the world was ending. For most people, it was a very mild illness. And we knew very early on that it was going to be around forever. The cat was already out of the out of the bag. Uh, By the time we found out about it, it was already spreading like wildfire in January and February of 2020. And we knew that a very significant number of people had quote unquote asymptomatic infection. So they were testing positive with no symptoms and then other people around them were getting sick. And that told us immediately that people did have some innate immunity. It was a coronavirus, even though it was man-made, it was not a, a natural virus. Many people were never going to get affected by it. And again, we knew the risk factors from the very beginning, and I did not approve of lockdowns. I did not approve of our initial response in the first few months. I did not approve of uh, vaccines being so rushed or even when they were rushed out, the fact that they were then mandated and that we were vaccinating children, recklessly the United States. I did not approve of that whatsoever. But COVID, yes, it's a, a real illness. And Uh, out of all the illnesses i see i mean i'm a doctor that sees heart attacks strokes sepsis that's way down the list covid how
0: did it spread because how does it how does it it spread and i don't understand from your perspective did it appear to be something that was created in a lab because one of the doctors that i had the pleasure of, of speaking with and knowing as a friend she believes it was a biological uh, weapon because the human body was not prepared for it. She said that some people got hit really hard mm-hmm. because the, the human body, I guess, through time, uh, remembers how to fight certain things, even if the person has never been affected with certain things. She said the human body's conditioned, I guess, to have memories, or the human species, I guess, is conditioned to respond yeah. from her perspective. So did you think that or if, that it was a biological weapon?
1: Well, at this stage, nothing would surprise me. Absolutely nothing. My eyes have been open over the last three years. I've been red-pilled. So whether it was a biological (laughs) weapon or not, I want to answer this question in two parts. One is that um, the way it spread uh, was very unusual, very, very quick. And I actually had a conversation with a very distinguished doctor about a year into the pandemic who said to me, she actually ran her own lab. She was highly specialized in the field and said that, a group of people knew very early on who are familiar with viruses that this virus is unusual. It's spreading in a way we've never seen before, and it, when they sequenced it, it had HIV uh, evidence of uh, uh, another like inbuilt structure in it, and they said they knew from the very beginning that it was a man-made virus. So the first okay. thing says, I, I believe that too. I don't think that this was a natural phenomenon. I think it was man-made. So then you get to the question: Was is it deliberate? Is it a lab leak? A few things I I try to think logically. As you know, my first thought was that if it was a if it was man made, it wouldn't make sense that China would make it and then release it in their own country. I mean, how difficult would it have been if they had made it to send someone over with a suitcase and release it in the U.S.? To me, that made no sense. If China did it, why would they release it in their own country? Okay, you can take a step back and say if the goal was mass population control because they knew what they wanted to do et cetera mm. i mean we can we can open that Pandora's box and talk because there's so many other hidden agendas involved, but my own impression is firstly yes it's man made because of the way it spread and and we, we how did it
0: spread by the way. way was it um, was it through the air was it uh through fluids well, and it was one airborne. Individual, airborne. airborne, airborne.
1: Uh, But it spread much more rapidly than a a natural virus. And my other thought is that if it was a bioweapon, why would they not create something which was worse? I mean, they could create any type of virus. I mean, I got COVID and as I said, I've had worse flus before. So if they were really, unless the goal was pure population control and making vaccines and benefiting financially, let's just say hypothetically, I I don't see why a bioweapon would be so mild.
0: Yeah, maybe they they underestimated. Maybe they, wanted, they thought it was going to be a lot stronger, but you know what it is? It scared so many people into just the worst tyranny I think we've seen in our lifetimes. The fact that you know children being forced to have these face diapers on them horrible. And you know US, all this, yeah. you know in the US, yeah, it's absolutely it's just it's horrible. And, I think they're going to bring it back. I absolutely think they're going to bring it back because if you look at the headlines today, they were talking about, well, we're seeing a rise in cases and you know, we're seeing all this other stuff. But just to come to that PCR test created by Carrie Mullins, I remember watching some videos by him and he's saying, well, look, you know, you can manipulate the data to say anything. And, you know, I think they were so when people get that test done. What is your perspective on that PCR test? Is that something that you consider to be valid or are there other methods and methodologies that you would assess would be a greater means of determining whether or not a person is genuinely sick? Do you think that for the most part, the PCR test was just a theoretical uh, uh, prop that was utilized to kind of pump up the data numbers or was that actually authentic? Was there something real about that?
1: Well, I think in some ways we're a victim of our own circumstances in the West. A lot of factors came together. We have the resources for these tests. I mean, go to other countries like China and India in most yes. of most parts of the, those countries. They don't have the ability to even test and they certainly wouldn't spend the money to test for such a mild illness. Mm-hmm. I think the PCR test was the best we had. I did have some questions about whether it would pick up other coronaviruses. How do you know which variant you're dealing with, etc.? Could there be any cross-reactivity with flu? And again, we're a victim of our own circumstance because we have the money and capability to do this. There's a big issue with the threshold cycle of the COVID virus. So I've heard stories about if a particular lab is getting a lot of positives, then they adjust the threshold because it could just be picking up dead viral particles and they take it up a notch or lower it depending on the results. So it's all very strange that that would happen that's not how we we traditionally did things and the fact that um, they were trying so hard to find an infection in people who had no symptoms was bizarre to me in the first place they had these resources billions of dollars to throw at this i remember when i went back to england during the height of the pandemic, there were all these rules like you had to stay indoors for 10 days. You got mailed. You had to buy this expensive COVID test kit, test yourself every few days, send the result in. I mean, it was just all a charade over a virus which had already spread. And how rid- ludicrous is it? You could have a marathon runner who's just finished running a marathon and you test them and say, oh, you got COVID, you're sick. And they say, no, I'm not sick. I just ran a marathon. Ran a That's great. <laughs> But no, in our world, you're sick, you have an infection. Okay. We've never tested for the, uh, on this scale people with no symptoms before. Viruses spread asymptomatically. Everyone knows that. You get a room, put a virus out. A lot of people have strong immune systems. It won't touch them. But if you test them, if you put a swab in their nose, mm. they will show as having the virus. So where did this come from? This defies all logic in medicine. We've never done this before where we've gone probing for infection in people who have zero symptoms. So I I think we misused the PCR test. Again, there were the questions about how accurate it was in the first place. It, It was just all one gigantic mess. To answer your question about whether there's anything else you can do, so I, as a hospital doctor, am more concerned about people who get very sick. So if they drop their oxygen levels, they come into hospital with hypoxia. We often do other tests like chest x-rays or ct scans and there was a very distinct appearance on ct scans for what covid looked like it would cause this lung inflammation that was a little bit different from anything that we'd seen before
0: okay very interesting thank you for your response and i wonder dr Dan, if when all this information is out all the time about how people should be afraid and be in fear one, I, I I can't say I'm an expert on this, but I do know that when I get stressed out or I've seen people get stressed out, it seems like your immune system is not as strong as it should be. So do you think that the pure fact that people were afraid, the pure idea that they were meant to be in that fight or flight syndrome perpetually for a prolonged period of time, that that itself could have lowered their body's defense mechanism, making them more susceptible to any kind of illnesses regards that they were healthy or not.
1: Exactly. And that's why I feel very sorry for people who believe the mainstream media and the narrative. I mean, I certainly was never scared. I mean, I, w- I felt bad that people mm. were getting sick. But again, I see sick people all the time. And we know that people who are at risk, vulnerable, can get sick. So maybe they can take extra care. But this sort of phenomenon is something that we haven't seen in our lifetimes. But it's something that humans are Very prone to. And there have been cycles throughout history. If you want to take a broader view, wasn't it Joseph Goebbels who once said he was the architect of the evil regime in the 1930s and 40s -hmm. in Germany? He said when they were trying to come to power, when Adolf Hitler was coming to power, he famously said that all you have to do is scare a population, give them a common enemy, and they will do anything that you want. This is Mm -hmm. a phenomenon which is well known in human societies, Uh, they are capable, we are capable, people are capable of anything, any level of stupidity, if you scare them enough. And yes, if you've scared people, that's a huge depressant on anyone's metabolic and immune health. That will make them, if they are feeling a sense of fear, that will make them much more prone to infections and other illnesses. It's terrible, not to mention the mental health effects.
0: Yeah, absolutely awful. And like a person who's already had an experience in fighting and their body has fought off a virus or they fought off illnesses in some capacity. Now that that because the body's already fought off something, if it recognizes it, again, my, my understanding is that it'll be stronger next time. Well, if we apply that to uh, a future pandemic, which maybe do, you, uh, do, do you, one, it's a two-part question. One, do you think that's going to happen? Do you expect that they'll try to use the COVID restrictions again? And second question is that, for the people that were scared and you know complied to all those mandates, do you think that they're going to uh, come back and comply even harder or just be more or are, are they going to just walk away from this? What is your perspective on that? So I guess the question is, do you think there's going to be uh, another they're going to try this again and they're going to try the restrictions again? And do you think that people, for the most part, will comply?
1: Yeah, it's it's a great question and a scary Again. question. Uh, I do think yeah. that we're likely to see another pandemic in the next twenty to twenty five years. I can't say uh, when that's going to be. Maybe think...
0: even sooner than that because they were shocking. They were talking about it in the news like this week. They're like, "Well, it, it, Los Angeles, well, of course, of course, it's California." They yeah, could, of course, they're already of course pushing course back on mandates, yeah. and uh, all these other countries, they're already bringing back mandates in some colleges. So yeah. I don't know if they're going to even sooner than that. So I'm sorry to interrupt.
1: They, they are. No, that's that's fine. So. Uh, If we're talking COVID, yes, certainly Mm. if people are still fixated on COVID, a lot of our leaders who are on a power trip, they might try it again. I would hope that a healthy segment of the population is much more skeptical now having had COVID and realizing most of the time it now is basically a cold. Is it worth shutting down society and changing the way we interact and having regular injections that come with side effects? Is it really worth it if um, we're dealing with such a, a mild illness? I hope more people would ask, That question, time will tell. But what I'm actually more worried about is if we're talking about another pandemic, especially if it's not a quote unquote natural virus, if it's man-made, then there are some very bad actors out there who might think, well, why don't we make it a really bad virus so people have more reason to get scared? Why don't we make it a virus that makes you bleed from your eyes or makes you vomit up blood because there are viruses that do that. You can engineer a virus like that. And then everybody will be scared and then they'll do whatever we want. Right. Uh, We wouldn't be having this conversation here. I wouldn't be having this conversation if COVID made you blind. Right. We'd all be Mm -hmm. running to get a vaccine because we see people basically becoming blind around us or getting some other horrible disfigurement. We're having this discussion because COVID was so mild. No, we would be hiding ourselves if it was a terrible virus. So, if there are some bad actors at the top who want that sort of level of control, sure. Why don't we just release a terrible virus and see what happens? It's scary, so scary thoughts.
0: Well, it's just it's just the nature of humanity. You know, people always talk about oh, humans have this capability of, of being so good. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd love to see more of that human side, but they're also, they're also pretty evil and and insidious. The, the horrors that
1: could, can happen. I mean, Germany was a very civilized country in the early 1930s, mm. but give them an economic collapse and a common enemy and see what they descended to. There's mm. nothing unique about them. That could happen anywhere. That's why we have to have our guard up all the time.
0: Yeah. And speaking of guard up, for people who did get the COVID vaccine, that right now, maybe, for example, they're, they're like, okay, well, I got this thing. It's in my body. Is there anything that they can do to, let's say, for example, reverse or stop any of the effects of that vaccine that, that was given to them or whatever they were injected with?
1: I mean, if we're talking about side effects or any concern about mRNA, which is lingering around, which some studies have have shown might be a legitimate concern. If you actually dig into the data, go onto research sites yourself, you can see multiple medical case reports and investigations that the mainstream media, especially in the United States, which is completely bought out by pharmaceutical companies, will absolutely never talk about. So if you turn on the news, you're only seeing one one view. My answer to that would be if there's been a problem, if there's been a side effect or adverse event or any other concern, the common sense advice will always be the same, would be to optimize your metabolic health in every way possible, which is what I'm all about as a physician. That's my area of expertise. So eating the right foods, the anti-inflammatory foods, avoiding junk, avoiding sugars. Sugars are absolutely toxic for your body and we eat way too many of them in the US. Staying very well hydrated, extremely important don't allow yourself to become dehydrated and exercising exercise is a great way to rid your body of toxins
0: that is fantastic and i wanted to say that before we even started my understanding is you you were criticized on twitter because you were showing a picture of yourself you know exercising at the gym and people are like well i can't believe you're you're exercising i love it is hilarious that they're trying to to say that there's something negative about exercising in that. Uh, oh no, you should yeah have body acceptance if you're 400 pounds.
1: Yep. You know, it's, it's clown world. Like like I said, <laughs> so I posted a picture today of myself myself at the gym. And I said, look, this is the way I resist the establishment. Large segments of the establishment want people to be sick. You have to realize what you're up against. That's how they make money, recurrent customers. And I said, well, I work out. I work out every single day passionately. Awesome. I eat a very good diet, I believe. I've done my research. I don't eat all the food produced by American corporations, that junk. And I posted that and said, this is what I do to try to stay healthy and away from doctors. And somebody posted <laughs> a reply of um, uh, really angry, saying that I I was dangerous and I shouldn't be saying that and spreading conspiracy theories. And I looked at the bio picture and it was somebody who was not only sadly obese I have to be honest but also the picture was taken on his couch oh. how <laughs> typical he was actually on his couch with looking very obese uh, and yeah. I'm the dangerous one for telling people to exercise and eat well this is a level of clownery and buffoonery we're in we didn't always used to be like this in America when I moved here 15 years ago this was the place to be. Something has gone really badly wrong since around 2005, 6, 7. We've gone way downhill. And we've gone to complete levels of lunacy that you wouldn't even believe. I wonder what's causing ago, it. What's happened to this country? It pains me. I'm a proud citizen. I want this country mm. to do well. But we are failing on so many different levels in so many different metrics.
0: I don't know. I know you said we are failing, but I, I feel some people are failing and others are not. You're not failing. I'm, not, I'm, I'm a work in progress. I, I, have, I like to eat late at night. Sometimes I'll eat some sugar. So I have to work on my gut bacteria and get get those sugar cravings under control. But other people like to work out four or five days a week. Some people are really taking their health in control.
1: My my rule in a nutshell is that the closer we get to our natural, sh- natural selves, the better for our health. So in terms of eating, that would be a very natural, pure, real food diet, minus the toxins, minus all the processed food that is around us. And to me, that alone should be enough for gut health. If we were in the wild, I mean, if you look in the wild, animals don't have any problems with their gut health because they're they're fine, they're healthy. Of course, they're eating natural (laughs) foods. it's we do it to ourselves. So yes, we can debate all of these things, whether it's a coffee, enema or something else. But at the end of the day, you're still trying to put a Band-Aid over something. You haven't fixed a root cause. Medicines, medications in general or any procedure never gets to the root cause. You're putting a Band-Aid on a problem. Maybe it helps you with some symptoms. But I'm far more passionate about advocating for stopping the problem further upstream.
0: Hey, thank you. I'm glad you said that in glad you're really an advocate for that. One person I've come across as a medical professional says that insulin resistance is, plays a major role in diabetes, in blood pressure. He says that people who graze all day or just eat or snack all day, they're putting themselves in a bad position. I listen to this gentleman's advice and I do intermittent fasting right now. So I won't eat for at least 12 or 14 hours a day towards the it's kind of hard in the beginning but towards the end of the day i feel like a, definitely energy surge what is your perspective on that do you think intermittent fasting is something that people should incorporate or do daily or do you have a diminishing return if you do it too much to the point where your body maybe adapts to that um you know longer feeding cycle and do you still get the benefit of insulin uh, resistance do you lower your insulin resistance if you do it continuously
1: yeah absolutely and and whoever your guest was is absolutely right insulin mm-hmm. resistance which is a true pandemic right now. I mean, statistics show that Uh 70 to 80% of people under 60 may now have insulin resistance. And our grandparents didn't have insulin resistance. Our great-grandparents didn't. It's happened for a reason, because we are eating fake foods that our bodies are not built for. They never will be built for. And they cause these insulin spikes. Insulin is an anabolic hormone. And then you get all of these uh, downstream problems, including obesity. Insulin is a fat storage, fat proliferation hormone. Uh, you get other inflammatory issues. So the question then becomes whether your goal is weight loss or anything else, you should reduce the number of insulin spikes you have during the day, which is basically impossible if you follow American mainstream culture, sadly, because mm. the entire system is set up for you to get insulin resistance and then diabetes. Intermittent fasting is fantastic. Again, I will come back to the same point. Uh, first principle is going back to nature. Animals don't wake up and stuff their faces first thing with sugar. Our great-grandparents never did that. We're eating in a very unnatural way. And intermittent fasting simply takes us back to nature. I mean, cavemen only used to eat once a day or once every two days. We're actually designed to do that. We are living in fake times right now, which unfortunately is making us very, very unwell. So you can get to different degrees of intermittent fasting. I occasionally do it not because I want to lose weight but I do it because it's very good for your metabolic health just to give your metabolism a rest. And whether it's 12 hours, 16 hours, I know a lot of people have a noon to 8 PM window to eat, but in general, I think it's a really good idea. I personally don't eat breakfast. I usually start eating around 11 or 12, unless I'm working out really early in the morning, then I might have something, but um, most people out there could, could really benefit from only having a six to eight hour window. It's what you're designed for. And you have to wean yourself off this notion, which has been propagated by corporations that are trying to sell you products, that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. It's absolute nonsense. No, it's not. (laughs) Animals don't eat breakfast first thing in the morning. It's not the most important meal of the day. That is a lie. Talk about a myth right there. That's one.
0: (laughs) I definitely agree with you on that one. Are there any types of antioxidants that you'd recommend people take. We had this gentleman on, Dr. Daniel Amen, and he was a huge advocate of cloves, of cinnamon, of ginger. Is there anything that you nat- that you take naturally that it, it would give your um, immune system a boost?
1: Yeah, I'm all for positive advice there. What can people mm-hmm. do to help, um, help combat oxidative stress, which is a process by which free radicals accumulate in the body and it, it's implicated... In many disease processes, including inflammation, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, you name it. So antioxidants basically help to neutralize the free radicals. And there's certain foods that are very, very high in antioxidants. My own personal favorite, I eat them every, every day, basically blueberries, blueberries. fresh, okay. organic, wild blueberries, half a cup to a cup of blueberries, 150 grams of blueberries, which is basically half to one cup, will contain more antioxidants than five whole servings of fruits and vegetables. It's one of nice. the most highest antioxidant content foods known to be known in all of our research. And I consider it a preventive medicine. I eat the blueberries. It's the phenols and anthocyanins, if we want to get scientific in blueberries, that uh, give the potent anti inflammatory antioxidant effects. That would be my favorite by far, antioxidant superfood. You have other fruits and vegetables down the list, the colored vegetables, apples are good, strawberries, grapes are not far off. And in terms of supplements, because you mentioned a few there, you mentioned mm. cinnamon, ginger, my two favorite are turmeric okay. and ginger. If I was to pick two supplements, only, only two that I would eat, they would be turmeric and ginger
0: thank you. Do you th- you recommend doing any kind of de at all? I've seen some products out there that are natural that will kind of clear you out. Is that something you recommend people doing, like taking oil of oregano or doing other things like that, or is is that only something you should do if you're, you're feeling unwell?
1: I I mean oregano is is okay um, as as a supplement. um You mentioned a couple of other ones there. Mm. I, I don't recommend any specific protocol. I, I I'm, I've got an open mind on this. If it helps some people, they feel better. Go ahead, as long as you're taking the right dosage of, of any any substance or supplement.
0: Okay. And Dr. Dan, I'm really glad that you posted something on Twitter talking about how you know it's good to to get a colonoscopy and you know you need to get certain tests at certain ages. Beyond the colonoscopy, are there any other tests that people can get for themselves? that are really be able to engage what their true health is. Cause I'm, I'm really passionate about finding out how much vitamins, uh, what my vitamin levels are. If I have any uh, metals in my body, uh, what my heart rates are. I mean, so uh, from your perspective, what are some of the most important tests that you recommend people getting get, even if they don't go to the primary care doctor, if they go to like requestatest.com or something.
1: Yeah. So colonoscopies are an interesting one because unfortunately, so many people consume the standard American diet that sets people up for colonic issues. Uh, The point I was making, actually, we might be talking about different tweets, but I was making the point that the American Society of Gastroenterology is deliberately trying to lower the age of when colonoscopies start. It used to be 50. And remember, in many countries, they don't even do routine colonoscopies, but it used to be 50. Now they're trying to push for 45. And I think there's a huge financial reason why they want to do that. (laughs) So much money from colonoscopies. So I'm a bit skeptical about that unless there's a specific issue in terms of basic screening tools. I'm, I'm in favor. I mean, I'm a minimalist as you can imagine in medicine, but I think routine blood tests at least once a year are really good. Get a complete blood count, uh, check on your hemoglobin, uh, then get a complete metabolic panel to check on your electrolytes, kidney function and liver function And then there's some other blood tests that I recommend strongly, which maybe other doctors don't. I think getting a HBA1C to look for insulin resistance is very good, very useful. HBA1C. There's another test which is not used as much because most doctors don't even know about the test, but it's called HOMA IR. And I made a video about this. It's H O M A and then I R, homeostatic model assessment for insulin resistance. And that will tell you often if you're becoming pre-diabetic before you become pre-diabetic, it tests with your fasting insulin, fasting glucose, great blood test there. I'll keep going down the list. Vitamin D list. big fan of checking vitamin D levels, especially if you live in a colder climate and I'm not going outside. Um, every year you can get that checked. Um, CRP is another one. C reactive protein It's a good test for inflammation. I'm actually making a video on my YouTube channel this week about CRP. Those would be my top blood tests. I mean, there are some other specific blood tests you can do for for vitamins, if there's any other additional concern. Uh, But I would start with those baseline tests.
0: Hey, I love those tests and I'm going to be doing them. And, you know, I think it's really awesome to check it. The question we have is going forward what are three things that you recommend a person do to become their own best self uh, health advocate?
1: Excellent. Um, So does that also include um, lifestyle changes or do you mean- Everything. It can
0: encompass everything. And feel free to add more more than three if you think it's more. Okay.
1: So the number one thing that I would say is your diet. You are what you eat. Every cell in your body, every thought that you have is powered by what you eat. We don't think about this enough, but if junk is going in, junk is going out, and it is so difficult in today's society. We've gone drastically wrong. We are not eating the same food as our grandparents and great-grandparents who won World War II and did other great things. Mm -hmm. We are a nation of sick, sick people, and it's because we eat total junk. So my number one piece of advice is, stay away from ultra-processed foods, which also coincides with staying away from sugars. The more you eat natural food from God, from nature, whatever you believe in, close to its source, whether it's a vegetable, a fruit, dairy, meat, eggs, get it from its source. Don't let it go through a factory and don't help the multi-billion dollar corporation and overpaid CEO make money from you eating their food and then the other CEO make money when you get sick. Because (laughs) our diet sets that up. I, I can't emphasize this enough because we're living in a time which future generations are not going to believe. When you look around you now, even compared to twenty years ago, you look at the obesity level, you look at how many people are sick, how many people are sick. This is a catastrophe, and there is not an awakening yet, but there will be eventually because it's going to bring the country down. Sadly, but the
0: number. Can we do a side quest on this one? Can you please explain yeah, that a little course, bit more? Absolutely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How is that going to happen? What do
0: you think is going to happen?
1: I think that so many people are going to get sick that firstly, it's going to bankrupt healthcare. We're seeing an epidemic of teenagers now with type 2 diabetes. It's unheard of 30 years ago. So if you think diabetes statistics are bad now, wait for 10 or 20 years down the line, okay? Mm. We're going to lose productivity. Taxes are going to go up. And countries that do have a collective sense of culture, of wanting their own people to do well, are not going to allow this to happen. Whether we're talking about China, other countries, they would never let obesity rates get to where they are now in the US. They will beat us i have zero doubt whatsoever because a sick population cannot succeed population with an obesity rate over 60 percent is doomed and i take no pleasure in saying that i'm a proud citizen i want america to win i want the uk to win i'm a brit as well but they're not going to win with this if they're eating pure junk every single day it's going to bring us down i mean think about what a waste it is we have this beautiful gift of a body given to us and we are abusing it And I'm not necessarily blaming people. People get stuck because this is all that's available to them. They think it's normal to eat the food they're eating. And junk food's cheap, too. And junk food's cheap. It's cheap. It's cheap. And it's affecting their brains. It's making them sad. It's making them depressed. There's a huge link between what you eat and depression. So, yes, I am not kidding I think that the entire country is destined to fail because of this. And whether it's five, 10, 15, unless we put the brakes on and realize that this is a problem, which is 10 times the order of magnitude more than the tobacco catastrophe. Unless somebody at the top realizes that we are fast on a decline. I really mean that. So I would encourage your listeners here, whoever's listening is understand that this is a problem and you can be your best self by saying no to ultra processed foods and sugars, eat real foods. Yes, it might be more expensive, but it's not as expensive as getting sick. Commit to that. And I have seen people who literally within two weeks of making that change have enormous benefits. They, they like come back to me and say, what the hell happened? I'm so much mentally clearer. I'm sleeping better. I feel better. And I've lost weight in two weeks. Seriously, that happens all the time. So that's the number one piece of advice that i would give anyone
0: out there dr sunil dan i want to thank you so much for being with us you were really uh straightforward transparent very informative you offered a lot of uh, great empowering tips and um thank you. you can learn more about dr dan by going to his website at dr you could sign up for a great membership that he has there you'll be able to navigate your way through uh, the establishment and Make sure you get optimal health tips. Uh, again, thank you so much for being with us today for sharing your wisdom.
1: Thank you. Great to join you.
0: Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our unbelievable guests, and special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Constance Dallas, and our social producer Jenny Lamisa. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. And till the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beer. Hey! Take care and thank you so much for listening.